And we're back with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, vaccine researcher. We were just talking before the break about back to school and the caseload of COVID cases in licensed Ontario child care settings. That's been trending upwards in the last few weeks. As a matter of fact, 12 children in one Etobicoke child care setting alone testing positive for COVID. And Dr. Gorfinkel, do you think that's a possible preview of what's to come with back to school in September? This is a preview, without any doubt. And, you know, kids under 12 cannot get vaccinated, right? There is no approved vaccination for children under 12. And they're faced with the potential, you know, exposure to the Delta variant, which is far more transmissible. And if you take a look at where are the cases landing, who are the people now getting infected with the Delta variant? And invariably, hospitalizations, deaths, they're landing in individuals who are either not vaccinated at all or only partially vaccinated. And that is well over 90% of the individuals who get infected. And what's happening in kids is it's like, we're still doing the research. We're still trying to understand just how at risk are they of getting long COVID symptoms. That should not be dismissed. We cannot go by yesterday's narrative of the original variant, oh, kids aren't going to be affected by it. We know that historically, children have been less than 2% of the hospitalizations across Canada. They've, they've only had, thankfully, a handful of deaths, but we're worried about the potential for long COVID from the Delta variant. And what do I mean by that? We're talking about fatigue, ongoing fevers. You know, this is well beyond just the acute infection. We're talking about months potentially of symptoms in these children where they may lack motivation. They may be getting joint pains, headaches, you know, shortness of breath, chest pain. These are the kind of long haul symptoms that we've previously seen in adults with the original variant. You know, so now that we're facing that potential in children, I think we need to, you know, stand up and take real attention to that. So do all of us, and by that I mean educators, parents, students, do we need to be prepared to pivot and pivot quickly uh, once again, uh, depending on the uh, numbers and what's happening come September, uh, October, that uh, we should be prepared for or brace ourselves for a return to online or at-home learning? I, I think that's always a possibility, but I'm certainly hoping that that's not going to be a probability. You know, with enough children vaccinated and with the public health measures that are in place, I can only hope and pray that that's not what's going to happen, because we know there are very serious harms to children not being at school, not being among their peers. It's also extremely difficult for parents to manage that place. You know, so what we have to do is, you know, keep the kids in school, if at all possible, without any doubt, that's our highest priority. And I think Canada, of all the countries in the world, you can almost call us the very best positioned to ensure that that's not going to happen. We're a highly motivated population. We want to get the vaccine. You look at south of the border to see what's happening, and it is deeply concerning. You, did, did you see, Jeff, what was happening in Florida? Yeah, I sure you know, have been uh, watching that closely, uh, with, without a doubt. I was going to ask you uh, about that, Dr. Gorfinkel, because when we uh, look at numbers here and that they're on the rise, when it comes to a fourth wave, should we be looking at uh, caseloads, which are going up not only here, but yes, in the U.S. and places like Florida, but also in the U.S., hospitalizations that's being reported are, are going up and that's got to be very uh, concerning and what does that tell us about the uh, vaccine and effectiveness against the delta variant 
It's deeply concerning. And one of the big concerns that many individuals have is transmissibility. Once I've been vaccinated, because the Delta variant gives a thousand times the amount of virus, can a vaccinated person transmit the Delta variant? And here's the upshot on that. So if I'm fully vaccinated personally, so the question is, will I transmit? And the answer is almost certainly we don't know. Not when it comes to the Delta variant. What we do know is that with the Alpha variant, that was not the case. We know that it reduces transmissibility there. But when it comes to the Delta variant, what we do know is that the people who wind up in hospital, the people who wind up in dying from the disease are still, for the vast majority, are either unvaccinated or only partially vaccinated. So this gives a good glimpse into that we know vaccinations are not perfect. We know they don't prevent mild disease. Even moderate disease are not 100%, but they are pretty good. Two doses of Pfizer is around 88%. Two doses of AstraZeneca is around 65%. So yeah, they're not as good as they had been for the original variant. Certainly they're not as good as they were for the alpha variant but they are the best we have. So this is what we must do. Vaccination is a a critical thing in in our armamentarium against this disease, as are masks, as are hand washing, and making sure that our schools are safe in terms of the air circulation systems, making sure the HVAC systems are updated making sure that fans are not pointing in the direction of people's faces, making sure that air conditioning units are also pointed upward toward the ceiling as opposed directly to people, because we know the disease spreads by aerosols. So these are all critical things. And hopefully, taken together, it will keep the numbers down to an absolute minimum. Even if everything were perfect, there would still be breakthrough infections. But even with the breakthrough infections, we can only do the best with what we have. All right. Just uh, finally, Dr. Gorfinkel, big headline yesterday we wanted to get your input on was Moderna announcing an agreement with Canada to build a production facility in Quebec. I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, intimately being a vaccine uh, researcher, just how big of an announcement was this yesterday that we eventually will be able to produce our own vaccine uh, here in Canada? This is tremendously exciting. And and what many people don't realize is that the messenger RNA research has been going on since the mid-1990s. It's actually not as new a technology as many believe. And it has far-reaching implications. It's not just about vaccinations. It's also about treatments, malaria, TB, HIV, cystic fibrosis. All of this stuff is coming down the pipeline. Hepatitis B, even rabies. They're looking at potential treatments against multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, cancers offer a therapy even. So, and and you might ask, well, why is that? Because ultimately messenger RNA is nothing more than a recipe. So basically the recipe is injected into somebody's arm. It's picked up by the muscle cells where it goes into the muscle cells, but understand, That never goes into the cell nucleus, nor does it interplay with the DNA of that person. Like these are all myths. It does not do that. It just stays in the cell. But then that protein is produced. 
And that protein can be a protein to anything, any one of those diseases. Cancers produce unique proteins. And so it's quite amazing to think how many proteins and how rapidly those proteins can be produced in a lab. And we can, the amount of research that's going to come out of that is just mind boggling. Yeah, and when you talk about it, yeah, rapid though, is it going to come soon enough in terms of this uh, facility and this plant? Because we understand it's going to take some two years for it to get up and running. And is that too late when we talk about uh, producing uh, vaccines uh, for us here in this country? Or is it uh, better late than never? I got to swallow the humble pie on that. Making messenger RNA vaccines or any, like the plant is going to take two years. And I think that's a conservative estimate. It may take three years, like, because these things are very complicated. And not only, it's not enough to make it. Health Canada has to inspect it. Health Canada has to issue a report. Then they have to go back and try to make sure that everything Health Canada demands is lived up to. That all takes time. You know, these are, and these are, Time is not the only thing. Of course, it takes a lot of money as well. But the exciting thing is, in the longer game, and you know, the longer game being two, three years from now, it's not just a question of the what it's going to produce. It's the amount of research it will bring to Canada. It's about researchers getting amazing jobs, being able to play out some of these dreams to make amazing treatments happen. And I'm, I'm super excited by it. And people, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, you know, the universities, they're reliable, but private, you know, private interests, you know, so this is, understand, this is Moderna who is making that. But even though it's private interest, that's where the vaccine was developed through Moderna, through Pfizer. It's literally saved millions of lives. And in my personal opinion, I think Caddy Carrico who was a woman researcher who tried very hard in universities and who never succeeded. And finally, she literally saved millions of lives by developing this vaccination. The Moderna vaccine, what turned into the Pfizer vaccine, I'm talking about messenger RNA vaccines. Did you even know her name? Uh, Yes, I have. uh, Actually, just reading about it uh, yesterday in the announcement uh, of the plant. But, uh, you know, they say uh, the old adage is, Every journey starts with a single step. So at least uh, we've got the first step uh, along that uh, journey. And I got to leave it there uh, for now, Dr. Gorfinkel. Real pleasure, as always. Thank you so much uh, for the time uh, in the uh, insight. We'll talk again next week. Many thanks. All the best. You bet. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, vaccine researcher with us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. (laughs) For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.